just saw about uh, 20 minutes ago the San Francisco Giants uh, become the 2010 uh, World Series champions. Uh, thoughts on the Giants? This team was not supposed to win. Like, on paper, and, and again, this is obviously the big discrepancy when it comes to baseball evaluation of any kind, but on paper, this team was not supposed to get the job done. So what do you, do you do you mean supposed to is in the sense that there were it, it was felt going into the season that they weren't going to have the the offensive uh, presence needed to do something like this. Well, pretty much we saw um we saw Matt Cain take a major career step forward. We saw Lincecum take a small step back, but it was more that he just kind of stumbled a bit in his high perch of dominance. He saw a very good season. Don't uh, think I'm actually trying to say that Lincecum's not good anymore, but it wasn't and, the Cy Young. And a very great postseason. Which and a very great postseason. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, he got hit around a bit this postseason, too. Matt Cain was a story for for the most part up until tonight's start. But then Jonathan Sanchez had a pretty, at least a decent postseason. And Madison Bumgarner, holy moly. Remember just, you know, a year ago where he thought the kid was done for and he was a wasted prospect? And basically his start last night um, in game uh, four of the World Series was everything that the the scouts build him to be. I mean, he's the first left-handed pitcher to strike out Vlad Guerrero three times in a game since 1998. Huh. And Al Leiter was the last one to do it then. And I'm not I mean, Vlad Guerrero is definitely in his aging years here, so it makes sense that anyone could do it. But Vlad's always crushed lefties. Mm-hmm. And uh, to have him strike out three times against Bumgarner, I mean, the, he, was, he was touching 96, like which pretty much the scouting report said he could do. It wasn't a good touch because, when I mean, whenever he'd hit 96, he wouldn't be able to command it. But he could blow it by when he was working 92-93. He was untouchable. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's been like one of the bigger stories of this postseason. And here's another funny thing, too. Edgar Renteria MVP. With, another, with another World Series winning hit like that. Yeah. I mean, back, back with Florida in his rookie year, he got that game. He got that a winning single there, that big RBI. And then he hit the three-run blast off uh, off of uh, Cliff Lee. And I'm sitting at a, at a restaurant watching the game with my roommate, and I just saw it going. I said, no, 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 no. And, that, and then when Nelson Cruz hit the home run, I was thinking, all right, they're coming back. Who am I kidding? They're not coming back. Huh. What we saw, I mean, all praise to San Francisco, because much as I didn't want them to win and I don't like the team, I'm not going to diminish their win, because despite what it should have been on paper, they were able to take apart everyone they faced. I mean, they hit they hit Roy Halladay, they hit Tommy Hansen, they hit Derek Lowe, they hit, well, Derek Lowe, that's not too much of a surprise, but, uh, um, and they came into the World Series and they hit Cliff Lee. I mean, Cliff Lee was the un- unstoppable god of the postseason. I mean, we hadn't seen numbers like Cliff Lee since Sandy Koufax, and then he comes in and just gets taken apart by the San Francisco offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, some of them had okay seasons. Like, Freddie Sanchez actually had a good season. We, I would have loved to have Freddie Sanchez's production at second base this year. I mean, not saying that we should go back in time and make the trade happen again, but I just mean in the or the trade that was rumored but never happened. Mm-hmm. But he had a good season. I mean, we saw this, weird, this unexpectedly awesome season on Aubrey Huff. Um, we saw a major step back from Pablo Sandoval, but uh, Juan Uribe stepped up and did a good enough job there. Renteria had an ish, you know, iffy season, but he came through when really, really, really needed him to. And then these these waiver claim pickups, yeah, 
like Pat Burrell, like Cody Ross, these guys that were not supposed to be doing. I mean, Pat Burrell was thought to be done. Cody Ross is a fourth outfielder with Florida, and and they they stepped up and and killed it. Yeah, I was just about to get into how a big part of their story is they, they their team was in constant evolution. They had a lot of people change roles, and they added a lot of new pieces as, as time went by. They, it, 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 it's a really good example of a team that could very distinctly identify where it needed to improve and find the best, most efficient ways to do that. Because, again, people like Cody Ross, people like Pat Verrill, they are uh, not you know super trade, uh, mid-season trade deadline acquisitions. They were people who were in not not being useful with Tampa Bay and Florida and other teams that were uh, picked up cheaply, and uh, they can they uh, deserve as much credit as anybody to have uh, joined their team and uh, fought to take them as far as they went. Well, I mean, and good for them for stepping it up. I mean, the thing that just frustrates so many analysts, like myself included, I mean, um, it's just the fact that these guys were just that. They're waiver pickups. Like, they picked up Jose Guillen. I don't think he even made the postseason roster. He didn't. No, and that's, the, I mean, they were also, I mean, that's the way postseason claims are supposed to go like that, is, you know, the guy might give you a few innings of, you know, okay baseball, or he might hit a couple home runs for you, but ultimately be, you know, not that great, and... These guys just suddenly ramped it up, and I wish I could give Brian Sabian more credit for picking these guys up, but there was no re- there's a reason they got picked up because nobody else wanted them, mm-hmm. and and the, and then I just refused to believe that there was some sort of magic telltale sign that these guys were going to rake down August and September, and they did, and led the Giants to their you know to the World Series for the first time I believe since uh, the fifties. Yeah, they hadn't won a World Series since moving from New York. Uh, this is, I think, the fourth time that they made it since since coming to San Francisco. Yeah, I'm not, most, re- most um, recently 2002. 2002, against, yeah. Against the Angels, where the Angels uh, took down Barry Bonds and that big crew there. Um, no, I mean, you know, good for them. I'm that, that, See, the problem, uh, not the problem, but what I hate going forward is that that pitching staff isn't going anywhere next season. Lincecum's got at least one more year with the team. And then you got Kane, Sanchez, and Bumgarner. And then Barry Zito, who just has that knack for taking the Rockies apart piece by piece. It's, and then Brian Wilson's, I don't believe, is going anywhere. They have a relatively inexpensive bullpen of good pitchers. Yeah. And, I mean, but, and some, like, 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 take a look at Javier Lopez. I mean, where did this guy come from? I and mean, there's talk about giving him World Series MVP. I don't think he's going to get it just because he's he's a strictly left-handed reliever. But he was pitching innings this year with, uh, um, with Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. And uh, he was brought in to face the lefties of dominance, like Josh Hamilton, like Chase Utley, like Ryan Howard. And I think, like, one lefty got a hit off of him. Hmm. I mean, he, he out of <laughs> everyone who did their job the most effectively, you could make the case that, that Javier Lopez was one of those, like, one of the top guys getting the job done for San Francisco's bullpen. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw them give the MVP to Edgar Renteria. Uh, though I don't know if you're talking about something different. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was just saying, before before they actually handed it to Edgar Renteria, I was reading articles saying that Javier Lopez right, could right. be one of those guys in contention there. I mean, that Renteria home run, putting them over the top to win the game, I mean, that that's almost enough right there. I mean, World Series MVPs can be based on one play, you know? Yep. And, and Texas was Texas was supposed to be a big offense, 
they would. I mean, this is the team that they beat the Yankees. They 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 did just about everything they needed to do, and then they just could not. I mean, San Francisco's pitching took down the best offense of the National League and took down the one of the best offenses in the American League between Philadelphia and Texas. Like, just they could not get anything going at all. And even the one Texas win in there was a scratched out four to with a four to one or four to two four to two victory. Yeah, now since we were talking about all these these Giants people, I just pulled up uh, their their contracts list. Uh, Zito is contracted still for the end of time. Uh, yeah, through tw- through 2013. <laughs> uh, and my browser just froze, so I can't tell you any more than that. Well, Bumgarner's still in his minimum wage years. Oh he yeah, also comes on a two year contract that uh, bought out two of his arbitration years. Um, Here we then, go. Uh, um, Let's see, Lincecum. Yeah, he he will be. He is he's he's going to be here a lot longer than that because he's not even. Let's see, this was okay. Yeah, his his first arbitration year would be next year anyway, and that's the only one that's bought out. So he's still under team control in some form or another for quite some years. Um, let's see, Matt Cain. Matt Cain's contracted through twenty twelve. Sanchez Sanchez is signed by just the one-year contract right now, and he's going to have at least two more years before he can go free agent. So, yeah, these, these guys are uh, in a good spot to keep the, this, group, this group of pitchers together for another two, three years maybe. What's, uh, what's Wilson's contract as long as we're uh, looking at contracts? I'm trying to find him. I somehow missed him. I will do – Wilson is signed through 2012. And let's see, that's two more seasons. He's still gonna be under team control one more year after that too. So yeah, this 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 pitching staff is not going anywhere, and that is going to be the story of the San Francisco Giants for the next few years. Here is pitching. I mean, yeah, and, and pitching and Buster Posey. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, can't say enough about Buster Posey. I mean, I can't believe I left him entirely out of this conversation so far. I mean, Posey has been everything the billing said he would be. You know, he looks like he's fourteen, and he. Hits them, you know, hits a ton, and that kid is going to be a terror in the National League West for for a long time. Yeah, he's got a, a huge amount of potential, and I fall. I've been following our system's prospects very closely, but really, all I hear about uh, other teams' youngsters is what I see in news about Rockies' prospects when they happen to be, you know, encountering them as an opponent or just through National League West sort of uh, word of mouth. But he's certainly impressed, and uh, is I, I'm sure that everybody in San Francisco is incredibly excited about uh, the the directions that he can go. Well, just as a reminder, if you look at the entire starting roster, or for the most part, the starting lineup for the Giants, they're most of it. I know that Sherhold's got a start in there, but for the most part, it was an outfield that had Pat Burrell, Andres Torres, and uh, Cody Ross. And then first base, Huff, second base, Sanchez, shortstop, Renteria, third base, uh Oh, a combination of uh, Sandoval and Juan Uribe. And Uribe also jumped uh, a couple other positions as well in there. But out of that, and then Buster Posey catching, obviously. Out of that, Sandoval and Posey are the only homegrown players. The rest of them were some sort of deal or free agent signing. Yeah, and we should talk about Andres Torres, too, because he's had a, a crazy year of success. 
he was a big part of the uh, mid-season success that they were having. And uh, if you talk about sort of a breakout candidate of somebody who's really come out of nowhere, I think he uh, fits that bill pretty nicely because I certainly didn't know who he was until until this season. Well, so. nobody did. He, he looked to be the kind of guy who was going to be a, uh, you know, nothing special. He, he washed out with the Tigers. Spent a brief amount of time with the with the Rangers, with the Twins, where then was back with the Tigers in their minor leagues, with the Cubs, and then finally in 2009 signed down with the Giants, made it to the majors, had a very strong, uh, a very strong year with the Giants in 2009, and then uh, this season, um, actually you can make a case that last year was a stronger year for him, but his his fielding, um, if you buy into um, UZR and the other fielding metrics, that's really what boosted his value. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I'm, as I've said many times, I don't know how much I trust UZR, but uh, it, it certainly propelled his wins above replacement value off the charts. He was he was up with the top vote getters for some time, and you know people were talking about how he deserved a spot in the All Star team and 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 so forth. Yeah, I mean the All Star team obviously got the job done as the Giants did have home home field advantage, even though. Kind of the irony and humor of that is that they only they they won the two games in San Francisco and then finished it off in Texas. Mm-hmm. So in, in a you know in a sense it was kind of pointless, but uh, you know the point is they had the home field advantage. They were able to jump out to that early two nothing lead. Uh, now Torres has been you know just one of those great stories about a guy who had all this talent or whatever and just could never put it together with another team, and finally he did. And I mean there's nothing really to say, but you know good for him. He did a great job, I and mean, he's. It, which is funny too, because he also had a very poor postseason with San Francisco. Mm-hmm. He um, he was one of the guys who really struggled at the plate, but his his glove was what kept him in the lineup so much. <sighs> so, uh, any other thoughts on wrapping up the uh, the the procedural aspect of the last uh, you know six months of baseball? Or uh... well, no, I mean it's been a frustrating season for Colorado, but congratulations to San Francisco. It's uh, it's slightly good to know that we were beaten by the best. Yeah, I, we had a good record. Didn't we? We had a winning record against San Francisco, didn't we? I don't think we ended up with one. We had one against San Diego. We might as well look it up. <laughs> well, the Rockies played well in division, and we definitely gave San Francisco runs for their money. I mean, you remember Memorial Day this year when Ubaldo was still in the midst of his just ridiculous dominant streak there. It was, it was Lincecum versus Jimenez, and Lincecum out-dueled Jimenez, but he had that one pitch, that one pitch where all won your eBay's at the plate, batting right-handed, and the pitch came in, and it looked to be off the plate, and the last second it dove back in again, and just just completely froze him. It was the nastiest pitch we've ever seen. So, you know, it's been a very storied year against San Francisco with the... Uh, with, with the various cheating allegations, and just I think that it's going to be kind of an angry rivalry over the next few years because the Dodgers are going to be kind of an ugly place. Nobody cares about San Diego, even if they're you know, despite how good they may or may not be next year, um, it, even our own fan base doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And so that leaves Arizona, who is going to be going through a very painful rebuild, I'm expecting, and then San Francisco and Colorado, and the Rockies and the Giants are the two teams both uh, best posed are poised to continue having successful runs. So there could be a lot of bad blood, even more bad blood than we've seen so far. And for any Purple Row listeners, let's be civil. Yes, I, I would appreciate that, too. I actually went over to the uh, 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 McCovey uh, Chronicles uh, people and 
put in a a a, a, a nice congratulatory message to them. So yes. well, I hope they appreciated it. I don't think anyone noticed that thread was moving pretty quick. But, All those uh, threads move really quick. But for, enough about. For the record, we were nine and nine against the Giants uh, this year. With uh, we scored. Let's see. We scored sixty-three one, runs and allowed seventy-one. So. Ooh. Couple tight wins, couple blowouts. Mm-hmm. Well, again, and I hate to say it still, but you know, congratulations to the San Francisco Giants. May we kick the ever-loving tar out of you in 2011. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, as I've said many times, the Giants are not amongst my favorite teams, and they are they are amongst the group that I really don't care for. But you know, I, I can't say that I feel particularly upset that that, that, that they won. I don't have enough emotional. Uh, negativity invested in, in in any part of baseball that would allow me to really express any sort of disappointment about this. Well, I typically don't either. I try to be somewhat dispassionate about it, so that way when uh, the Rockies lose or our opponents win, I'm not just pissed off for the rest of the evening. I mean, I remember 2006 when the Rockies weren't even supposed to be winning, and they didn't, but uh, um, Jason Jennings going out and throwing good, effective starts and getting the offense just completely floundering against mediocre starters and making Jennings look like a fool. Um... I remember that. Those days would just get me all riled up. And this year, I'm like, well, I've kind of come to expect it out of the Rockies. They well, just seem to, they hate our homegrown pitchers. And as much as, I mean, earlier, uh, just a couple minutes ago, you said that 2010 was really a disappointing season. But at the same time, we tied our third best winning percentage. Uh, when you comparatively uh, contrast this season to, uh, you know, the previous uh what seventeen years of Colorado Rockies baseball? It stands out pretty good, to be honest. Which is kind of sad to say. And I mean, realistically speaking, this team should have won eighty-six or eighty-seven games. And if I ever get off my butt and actually finish writing the article about wins lost to uh, injury, I mean, you'll see that you know Tulowitzki's loss hurt a bit. Gonzalez Gonzalez only spent a few like a short amount of time out, but it was still felt. But then. uh Really, just the disorganization from having the pitching staff being hurt, going up, going down, being ineffective, um, and just kind of question marks on who was in a pitch, when they were going to pitch, and what role they are going to pitch in. Um, that was really the, the nails in the coffin for Colorado this year, is, is, uh, was pitching. And despite the fact that we had one of the best, you know, at least by, uh, by the, the fielding independent pitching-based war that Fangraphs uses, um, and the fact that they said that we were one of the best pitching staffs in the majors again, it was just the inconsistency of um, the inconsistency of a steady rotation that was part of the damage there. That that we had to ride some pitchers too hard early in the season, and by the time we got down to a point where we really needed them to come down to crunch time, they just didn't have enough left in the tank. It would get hit regularly, and so on and so forth. Very lot, lot of little frustrations and. This is going to be an interesting postseason, which we will do our best between the website and the podcast and whatever the sources we might have to uh, keep everyone up to speed on it. It's uh, going to be an interesting one, as we've seen from a lot of sources, that the Rockies are due for a pretty decent shakeup. Yeah, and it's certainly unlike any any off season that I have I will have witnessed in the short time that I've been following the team, because we have a completely different set of challenges. Uh, I Every other uh, year, we've had very little wiggle room financially uh, to, to really go out and attract people beyond really kind of the C-level free agent. I mean, we're, we're still not going to be going after Cliff Lees or Jason Wirth's of, uh, of the market, but 
we have more room to maneuver amongst sort of the the tier right below that, which includes our own uh, Jorge De La Rosa mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and further, we we just have different needs than I'm used to uh, to uh, having. I mean, we've always kind of been lefty heavy, but now it's just gotten absurd. Uh, so, oh yeah, when the big when the two biggest well, the two biggest hitters on the team are one lefty and one righty, but the entire support cast is almost entirely lefty. And Stewart and uh, Smith, Smith, Helton, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, well, despite what Helton may or may not be anymore, um, we have a lot of lefty on this roster, which is what makes the second base situation at least interesting because you have two switch hitters competing for second base and a right-handed hitter in Chris Nelson. Um, but what makes this offseason so much different for me than the, than, than the last three offseasons is that 2006 offseason, they weren't together. They were supposed to compete in 2008, you know, and in 2007, they magically caught fire and went to the World Series. Mm-hmm. In 2008, they were plagued with injuries and had to make the first painful trade, which is obviously losing Matt Holliday. And, uh, but obviously because we picked up Houston Street and Carlos Gonzalez and Greg Smith in the trade, despite how uh, Greg Smith's been somewhat disappointing, um, Gonzalez, and we'll talk about him shortly here, has had a very decorated season so far. And then uh, Houston Street, despite his injury troubles, has been a definite positive to the closer role. And, can- and, and I just real quick, if, if I can interrupt, about Street. It's, I, I think that after having a bit of a down year, mostly because of the injury, but he, he had some performance ups and downs as well. It's important to remember we've still got him another two years, and he's not anywhere near in a position where he's going to just suddenly lose all of what he brings, and I think that uh, he is going to be very valuable over the next couple seasons. Yeah, so. making sure to have a good uh, off-season conditioning program will be very critical for Street. Not so much because he looked gassed by the end of the year, but just small things to stay healthy. Um, because we know that Jim Trace is going to be looking at him to be relatively pivotal, and I'm hoping, and I'm hoping, and I'm hoping that they don't make the same mistake that Ron Washington made in a lot of the postseason in the bullpen usage and being afraid to touch Houston Street outside of the ninth inning. Um, that was, I mean, the way Washington handled Neftali Feliz kind of showed some of the error and uh, the, the, the errors in uh, management thoughts toward how a closer should be used. So I'm all of the opinion that your closer should be your bullpen ace in the sense that you bring them in in the toughest spot. If that happens to be in the eighth inning, you bring them in in the eighth inning. If Bentoncourt looks like he's struggling, you bring in Houston Street. You don't ask questions. I mean, he's not a delicate flower. Granted, he's not Mariano Rivera, but no one's Mariano Rivera, and you gotta real, you know, you gotta understand when to use these guys best. But um, this is more in-season discussion here, because I mean, I could go back and criticize and and praise all that I wanted to about how uh, um, the bullpen was used or whatever. But you know, back to the off-season, the difference between this off-season and the last few, like I was trying to say there. Um, is that the last few years, it's more we just need to pick up a couple small pieces because we are waiting on some big beastly prospect to step forward. 2009, it was waiting for Carlos Gonzalez. Even though he'd been in the majors, we wanted to make sure he was ready to go in AAA before we brought him up to uh, to the majors in Colorado. And um, we, we've been waiting on Dexter Fowler. We've been waiting on, you know, just, just guys like that, young stud pitchers. And we still have pitchers we're waiting for and we're excited about in the names like Christian Friedrich and, uh, and seeing what Julius Chassin is able to put forth um, in his first full season in the majors. And uh, the, the, the difference is, though, is that the lineup needs help now, and we don't have a beastly prospect waiting in double-A AA or triple-A to come up. 
Will Rosario looks like he'd be very promising. Jordan Pacheco's been turning a lot of heads. Charlie Blackman's been having a good time in the AFL, but none of these guys are quite like they're, they're not Jason Hayward. They're not Buster Posey. We got to be thinking about the fact that this team might not be as sustainable as we were hoping. Mm-hmm. I mean, like in Tampa Bay situation, um, where, where they had like 15 first round draft. <laughs> exactly. I have a coworker who's a Yankees fan, and he was just he was just said, "Well, they were so terrible for so long. They had so much talent just building up in the minors. There's just no way they weren't going to make it. You know, eventually here. And yeah, Tampa Bay has a phenomenal roster, which is exactly why the draft is constructed that way, so that yeah. the teams that struggle can have some sort of some sort of uh, potential equalizer a couple of years later. Exactly, but now that Colorado's had a few years of success, I mean, this is the the years where the best picks from the last, you know, four years should be starting to bubble to the surface. And between the uh, the few poor picks we've made in early rounds, like Casey Weathers and, and Greg Reynolds, for example, um, we just don't have a lot of monsters coming up right now. We have some guys who, like I said, look promising, but I, ha- I mean, from what I've heard, none of the guys are going to, you know, just top to bottom outperform guys like you know Ryan Spielborg, for example. This this off season needs to be a big off season. We need to make some difficult decisions. If that means trading off some guys that people love, if that means saying goodbye to some players that that are fan favorites, it's what we have to do. And this isn't meant to be a bash on the ownership and talking about how cheap they are or whatever, because we also can't go and hamstring ourselves with a Cliff Lee. I mean, I, I don't mean to point back to, you know, Denny Nagel and Mike Hampton, because that's not really a fair assessment anymore. Therefore, it's a different game in Colorado now than it was then. But we definitely need to figure out a way to bring someone bigger than just a Jamie Carroll type in, or a Miguel Olivo, or, I mean, say what you will about Miguel Olivo's first two months. He, For the course of the season, he ended up being, you know, Definitely the kind of guy you want on your roster, but he wasn't as big of a bat as his uh, April and May suggested. Mm-hmm. We we cannot rely on the luck. We can't expect Melvin Moore to suddenly step up and be magical down the down the stretch. We can't expect Jamie Carroll to have a 2006. We can't expect scrap heap guys to step up and suddenly make the team whole because it just not doesn't work that way. Unless you, uh, just a, unless you're incredibly lucky, and uh, you know you wind up with a situation like with uh, what Herrera was doing while Tulowitzki was hurt and some such, you just kind of seems to uh, be the kind of thing that makes people assume that oh this can happen, and we're totally fine with just the most minimal amount of depth. But it's really kind of an illusion. Well, I've said this a lot this season, and it's been more in, in, in uh, the context of winning streaks and how well the team performs down whatever stretch they're performing down. But um, the difference between this season and – well, the, the diff thing is we cannot count on Magic again. We cannot count on 21 out of 22. We cannot count on playing 700 ball for – you know, down the stretch after the team catches fire or whatever. You, you can't just expect the team to catch, you know, go on a magical streak. I mean, at some point, your production on paper has to at least look like a team that is going to be a dominant team, not if everything falls right, we could. Mm-hmm. Because that's just not plausible. I mean, we're, we're, counting on, we're still counting on a breakout from Ian Stewart. We're wishing and hoping and praying that Ionetta can somehow find something that he had in 2008. We need Dexter Fowler to turn into the guy that he looks like he could be in the minors and in AAA for that short stint down there. Seth we, Smith is on that list. Seth Smith is very high on that list. Seth Smith not only needs to uh, 
Well, he needs to show that he can do more than pinch hit, and I know a lot of people aren't convinced that Seth Smith is more than a pinch hitter. And after the way he performed a lot of the season, I'm not entirely sure either. The good news is he's a very good pinch hitter. <laughs> it's very good news there, but we can only afford to carry so many pinch yes. hitters before yes. we need to find some guys who can actually play you know, eight innings of the game rather than just one at bat and maybe a defensive switch. Which is why, going back to what I was saying before about how the needs are different, which is why for one of the first times uh, over the past few years, the organization looks a little bit light in the outfield as opposed yeah. to uh, heavy in the outfield. Well, the problem is, is with the outfield. I mean, I would, well, I'd rather give myself a good problem to have. I would rather have someone like Seth Smith or Dexter Fowler suddenly be fighting for more playing time and doing it legitimately. You know, batting, you know, posting an eight fifty to nine hundred OPS and saying I deserve the playing time, as opposed to, uh, um, as opposed to just what we have been seeing with we have our starters and they're our starters. I mean, as it stands right now, we try to play the best defensive outfield we can and then just hope someone else can push for playing time. But at some point, you know, it's going to have to give, and we're going to have to see some offensive production. See, personally, I wouldn't mind going after a Jason Worth type just because of the fact that then you'd end up with an outfield that is forcing everyone else's hands. Like, if we end up with a Jason Worth, Carlos Gonzalez, Dexter Fowler outfield and then and then switch out Seth Smith and or Ryan Spielborgs or whoever that fifth outfield ends up being – um, we're in a good spot because then, you know, if Fowler struggles, we just shift Gonzalez to center field and throw Seth Smith or Ryan Spielborgs in left or right, whichever one isn't being occupied by Worth or, uh, or Gonzalez. And it, it's just a better place to be because we don't have to be saying, well, half of our outfield, or, you know, two-thirds of the outfield sucks right now, but we don't have a better option. There's got to be a better option. And these guys that we're starting right now need to be the guys who we can say, oh, we now we have a better option, not so much of the sense of we're playing them to hope that they f- get their way into a groove until right. they start hitting well. And at some point, it's got to give. We can't make excuses for the guys for much longer because our window is going to close sooner than later if these guys don't step up. Yeah. Um, let's talk real quick to wrap this up about the two awards that you wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, we've seen um, we've seen uh, some postseason. I would say postseason hardware, but MLB hasn't officially started announcing its awards yet. But Carlos Gonzalez won the uh, Player's Choice Award, I believe, for the uh, most outstanding player or something along those lines. I forgot the actual wording of it, but it was a player voted award, and so Gonzalez is recognized as being an excellent baseball player. Um, you know, between his dramatic catches and you know, even if it was a horrible home road split, you know, hitting the crap out of the ball, um, he also received. I believe it's the, the Luis Aparicio Award, which is given to the best Venezuelan player in a season. And that might not seem like that big of a deal, but the fact that he beat out, you know, potentially AL Cy Young winning Felix Hernandez, as well as uh, potential M- uh, American League MVP winning Miguel Cabrera for this award, that really says something about the way that uh, Luis Gonzalez, or Luis Gonzalez, Carlos Gonzalez <laughs> was, uh, was noticed this year. And then the other award that was given out that's of, of big note there is uh, the Fielding Bible Award at shortstop was given to Troy Tulowitzki. And uh, John Dewan has a proprietary fielding metric uh, called uh, – it's plus mi- John Dewan's plus minus, and uh, it is compiled into what they call the Fielding Bible, and he was uh, ranked as the best there. And, it, you know, all the metrics pretty much agree that Tulowitzki had a very positive season fielding. Um, despite some criticisms of his actual methodology in fielding, he was a very good fielder this year. And I certainly hope that Major League Baseball, or at least the managers voting on the Golden Gloves, will give him the credit due to him, and that we will finally have another Gold Glove in Colorado. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, in terms of the upcoming schedule for this podcast, uh, right now it looks like what we're going to do is we're going to do one more episode this month, probably later in the month, so we're, we're going to be gone for a couple weeks, and then we'll do one show, probably a rather long show, uh, in mid-December, kind of right before the holiday stuff happens, which is going to cover presumably all the big stuff that's happened so far, of which there can be a lot, uh, depending on who we've signed, who we're talking to, what went down at the winter meetings, who got added to the roster, who got taken off the roster, who got Rule 5 drafted, uh, and all that craziness. So all of that stuff is going to start happening. The first major uh, off-season uh, transaction activity will be happening at the end of the week because now that the World Series is over, we're five days away from the free agent wave happening, which is where uh, everybody is going to be able to declare and then negotiate openly with uh, everybody. So a lot of interesting stuff to cover there, but there's just not enough of it to try and talk about it every week. So um, uh, I don't know if there's anything else to really cover here. Uh, any other thoughts? Uh, no, we've covered the World Series. We talked about uh, a bit about what the Rockies need to be looking for this postseason, and we've discussed a few awards that have already been dished out. So uh, I think I about covers it for 2010 for me. Yep, I agree. And uh, congrats to San Francisco. As much as we may uh, not not care particularly well for their team, they they fought for it, and they 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 pretty heartily owned the Rangers in, in the last five games. So uh, congrats to them once again, and we'll be back probably somewhere around the 22nd or so of November. And with that, on behalf of myself and Andrew, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Take care.